Hey, love is like war, Indy. To, to the, the victor go the spoils. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Indiana Jones Universe, the podcast that explores the expanded universe of Indiana Jones as we discuss the young indie television series, the Further Adventures comic books, the Staff of Kings and Emperor's Tomb video games, and so much more. As always, I'm Will. And I'm Max. And thanks for joining us for episode 50, in which today we're continuing our discussion and exploration of the young Indiana Jones television series with chapter 16, Tales of Innocence. In this one, Indy travels to northern Italy as he continues to fight in World War I and also falls in love with a girl named Julietta. Meanwhile, he meets a young Ernest Hemingway as Indy soon realizes he's going after the same girl he is. Uh, then Indy gets reassigned to Morocco uh, where he is under disguise as Captain Duval as he is to escort American novelist Edith Wharton to meet the great Sheikh Kamal. Meanwhile, Indy is doing some espionage of his own as he is trying to uncover a French traitor plot to smuggle weapons to rebels in Morocco. So in this exciting episode with some great humor and indie action, let's jump right into this one, shall we? Yes, we shall. And right off the bat, we have a beautiful shot of some mountains, and then we jump right in with a big action scene as these planes are dropping bombs on these trucks coming into this very small town, which is where... Um, Indy and his uh, fellow mates at the war have set up their base camp. Yeah, and I love the opening scene of this. We have some very great, uh, you know, beautiful music. And how about those shots of the Italian Alps? Really, really awesome there. Kind of offsetting the uh, sort of war uh, that we saw at the beginning of Palestine, but kind of almost tricks you. as like you said, you jump right into the war there. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention right off the bat here is we have some familiar faces here that you may have noticed in the credits. Uh, first off, Pernilla August, uh, who played uh, Sophie's mother in Perils of Cupid, and more famously, uh, Anakin's mother in The Phantom Menace, uh, is back in this episode as Julietta's mother. So that's kind of fun to see. Uh, she's also married to the director of this episode, Billy August. So kind of interesting to see where she originally met George Lucas. Uh, and we also have an appearance from Roseanne Seth, who plays Sheikh Kamal in this episode and was Chatter Lal in Temple of Doom. So how fun to see those actors back in action here in this episode. Yes, many familiar faces. It's great to have them back. And, you know, as we've said before, George Lucas does like using uh, actors he has previously worked with, especially, you know, uh, we see obviously Harrison Ford. He was in Star Wars. Now he's in Indiana Jones. So he definitely likes reusing a lot of actors, especially if he liked them uh, in their parts uh, previously. Definitely, and it's also cool to see how some of these Star Wars actors came originally from Young Indy, too, uh, in this situation with Vanilla August as well, so uh, really awesome to see that. And um, one thing as well interesting is, that's kind of interesting about this 
is uh, that this episode starts off Volume 3, The Years of Change. Uh, if you're following along and doing a rewatch with us uh, and you're using the Young Indie DVD box sets, uh, this is the first episode to Volume 3, The Years of Change. And uh, there's certainly a lot of change here, but India is still involved in the war, which I found very interesting. That happens with actually the first couple of episodes here. We still see a little bit of World War One and Masks of Evil and Treasure of the Peacock's Eye as well, and even a little bit actually in Winds of Change. So kind of interesting uh, that this is considered the years of change, even though we're still kind of right in the heart of 1917 here. Yes, it's very interesting. You know, I, you know, I knew this was the years of change, and I'm watching it. And I'm like, wait, this doesn't look like. Yeah, there's definitely some change, but India is still very much in the war. I'm like, are we still in the war years? It was, uh, you know, it's very interesting to see how they kind of, you know, kind of slowly transitioned out of it in the first few episodes of the years of change. Yeah, that's a good point, because one thing I was thinking about, actually, is if you think about um, Volume 1, the early years, technically, World War One starts kind of in the middle of Spring Break Adventure there. And we that's still part of the early years, even though it switches from Corey Carrier to Sean Patrick Flannery. So perhaps they did that just to kind of add a little bit more of a structure to the volumes when they were making the DVD box sets, because otherwise they would have had just a huge volume, too, with so many Warrior episodes, whereas they kind of wanted to spread it out. So kind of cool to see if rather they just did that or it was kind of on purpose. And we can kind of notice a little bit of things uh, that kind of change in this episode as it relates to the war. So, um, yeah, and going back to this first opening war scene here, obviously we see uh, all these planes flying over the Alps here as Indy runs across the trench. Uh, and I really kind of like those close-up shots in those uh, airplanes. They're kind of a flashback to uh, Attack of the Hawkman there as well. And again, that kind of idea of the Trenches of Hell style. We have some very elaborate set pieces here. And I really love that cool sort of hidden mountain that Indy goes into many times in the episode. Yes, and speaking of the hidden mountain, uh, the first time we really see Indy up close, we notice he has an eye patch and he does not, and he has lost an arm. Yeah, it's very interesting that I, that he does that in, in this episode, kind of, again, going with these different disguises as well. He's Captain Duval later in here. I kind of like it. It was funny to see him because uh, he obviously disguised himself in the last episode as well and does it throughout the entire series. So again, yeah, kind of pretend to lose an arm there. And then uh, eye patch. Uh, he was given a little George Hall vibes over there uh, with that <laughs> classic eye patch. Yeah, which was actually hilarious. So um, I love seeing that as well. And I also like that... Uh, uh, Indy also, uh, I, I don't know if he's, is he speaking in Italian here? I don't know if this is Italian, but uh, either way, nice continuity with Indy being able to speak all these languages. Yeah, I mean, it either it's either Italian or German. I can't exactly tell what he's speaking. I think it might be Italian, though, considering they're in Italy. True, that makes sense, yeah. I'm not sure, actually, because I think, yeah, it probably is Italian. I wouldn't know, actually. Um, but it was still cool, to, <laughs> still cool to see him, uh, you know, again, going with all those languages. He does it throughout the entire series, and, and I really enjoy it. Yes, speaking of uh, Italy and Italian, Indy is talking to his fellow uh, mates, you know, about the war, and he's like, ah, oh, the best thing about being in Italy is the Italian girls. <laughs> he kind of mentions that, and I thought that was kind of funny. Right, exactly. And he starts uh, talking about uh, Julietta, who at this point we haven't seen yet. And he's very dramatic about this, which is kind of funny. That's <laughs> a very Indiana Jones thing to do. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, everyone's looking at him and laughing and smiling. And so um, I kind of like that they added this humor to it. And again, we talked about kind of the comic relief episode uh, from Espionage Escapades. This is another one that kind of is that sort of sigh of relief, I guess you could say, coming off these heavy war episodes. But this, I feel like, was a little bit different than Espionage because this, I think, has a lot of 
more of the actual war sequences integrated with this. And I love this idea of kind of love and war. Those are those main themes that we really see in this episode right here, this contradiction, which kind of is coming back from what we saw in Love Sweet Song, this idea of Indy and Vicky trying to get married, um, but she didn't want to do that because of this war going on. So love and war don't mix, and we kind of see that here, but on a different level, as Ernest Hemingway seems to be involved here. Yes, definitely. I mean, Indy, you know, Indy will meet Ernest Hemingway. I mean, he's very young at this time, but, you know, he mentions he's from Chicago, which, you know, is very true and you know going back to this uh first kind of first and second kind of scene here indy gets real feisty as he goes back to the i believe belgian army crosses the lines as people are shooting at him right it was very interesting and originally when you think and you kind of see what's going on here you think actually that it's uh you know the germans or an enemy and it's actually uh they're kind of trying to disguise the fact that he's going over the uh kind of the no man's land over there which i thought was really really cool and you know he gets real feisty with i think his name's luigi right there he's like you know he was like i was trying to keep you on your toes he's like you would have just shot them off yeah <laughs> it was he's crazy like... i mean he went very i mean he almost shot him it was so close yeah, he's like, you almost shot my toes off, you know. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. And, you know, Indy goes back to freshen up, and we uh, realize, this is when we realize that the eye patch and the uh, no arm is totally a disguise. It is completely fake. Right, uh, which is kind of interesting as well. And I like how uh, he almost kind of switches between... Uh, we, we see this a little bit as he talks to, uh, I think it's the, it might be the colonel over there, I can't remember, uh, who, you know, talks to them about, you know, what's going on, and he starts talks to him in English every day. So, again, this idea of kind of two different personalities uh, was kind of something that was new in this episode, which I really, really enjoyed. And, again, this great, beautiful setting here of Italy, brand new. We haven't been to Italy yet. Uh, well, we were in the very early years of the episode in Florence, but different, uh, you know, area in Italy, which is so awesome. And I really like, as well, as we see kind of Indy washing up, getting ready to go see Julietta here, we have this music, and I love how he salutes right at the end there. That classic Indy salute, one of my favorites. Yes, he does give that classic Indy salute that he does many times throughout the series, and quite a few times throughout the uh, movies, which is very, very authentic and really gives to that Indy adventure vibe. And then we move on kind of to the next scene where Indy is going to hitch a ride with uh, who we don't know at the time is Ernest Hemingway and another American guy. Yeah, it's very interesting. Right off the bat, Indy uh, grabs a ride with these two, uh, you know, other soldiers who seem to be sort of working at the hospital. Um, and one of them is Ernest Hemingway, which I thought was kind of cool because we don't really know that it's him at that time. And... Uh, I love it. It's funny here. Indy pretends to be French. He starts speaking <laughs> French, and he has a great accent, by the way. Sean Patrick Flannery really nailed the languages on this. Uh, I'm oh, not yes. sure if he already knew how to sp uh, speak a bunch of languages before or he had to practice, because in Verdun, he, he uh, spoke German, which was also very, very good. Uh, you know, well done on, on Sean Patrick Flannery's part. Uh, not so well done on this other American guy <laughs> <laughs> who speaks one of the worst French accents I've ever heard. Yes, it's absolutely horrendous. You know, he it, you can tell he is trying to fake the accent, which I think is probably purposeful just to make it because you can tell he's having a hard time keeping it together as he's talking. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's funny because... You know, it's just, it really offsets the whole tone so much, especially like you can tell that, you know, Flannery's, uh, you know, French is just flawless. It's perfect. 
and he tries to play along with the whole thing by speaking the French, you know, uh, allez à la ville, okay, capitaine, you know, with all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and there's this whole, like, Western accent to it. It's just like, what are you doing, man? It's so funny. And I love how Indy makes fun of him the whole time. Speaks all this stuff in French that he has no idea what he's saying. And, you know, uh, the American goes, this guy's giving me the willies. And I'm like, excuse him, like, what? <laughs> just, this whole scene is just brilliantly well done. As, you know, Ernest Hemingway, he has... You know, an entire... He knows exactly what's going on and what Indy's saying, but he says nothing to the guy in the middle there. What I really love is when Indy finally gets out in the town, he just... Uh, he's like, thanks for the ride to the American. And the American's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, in his mind, he's like, what? <laughs> right, exactly. That's a classic Harrison Ford uh, moment, too. That kind of Indiana Jones humor. Just, by the way, thanks for the ride. And just zooms <laughs> right off. Oh, that was a classic. I love that as well. Uh, you could, cause you could tell, you know, the, the poor guy was trying, he thought that, you know, he was actually from France and, you know, or he was Belgian and, oh my God, that was hilarious. Um, yeah. And so I love this kind of next scene here, which we kind of get introduced to Julieta, who obviously, uh, we, we learned a little bit about just previously here and he goes and buys these flowers in this town. And how about that house? Very, very nice. I love, uh, wherever they shot this. I'm not sure exactly where this is in Italy since the episode's still in Northern Italy. Uh, but certainly that house is absolutely fantastic. The scenery here really kind of goes with that sort of idea of, uh, what's going on outside of the war or kind of in this case, near the, uh, sort of Alps in Northern Italy. Yes, that house is so beautiful. And actually, this is uh, not a matte painting. It is on location. I don't know if the house is actually was built for this or if it's uh, someone's house, but uh, the background is all authentic. It is not a matte painting like uh, many of the other episodes, which I really love. And I also love kind of the next scene where Indy knocks on the door and is here to see Julieta, and he's waiting inside to, for Julieta to come out and uh, greet him. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite characters in this episode has to be the little brother, Roberto. Uh, he's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I love how he just basically uh, makes fun of Indy the whole time as we find out that Julieta has been seeing this other guy while Indy's been away. And uh, we see that with this entire vase full of just flowers <laughs> right as he walks in. Yeah, and, and he looks at it like, oh. Um. Right. <laughs> Uh, there's been there's been a little trouble over here, and I also I love as well how um, he. It's interesting to see Indy's personality in this episode because we saw you know kind of with Maya in the last episode, kind of the the juxtaposition with that and him with Julieta. It's so different, and it's kind of interesting here. You know, he barely speaks. Right when he opens the door, all he says is, hello. That's it. That's all he says. And so it's kind of funny to see here how different this is and how, you know, we obviously see Julietta's a little bit shy as well and, um, oh, just hilarious as well. Uh, and I love how Julietta says, he's only a kid. And, uh, you know, Indy's like, oh, yeah, he's a really fantastic kid <laughs> as he starts bringing up the other guy. Just a classic. I love Roberto in this. He's just, you know, so salty at Indy the whole time. Yes, he really is. I really love that. You know, Roberto's also really funny, and the mother's like, Roberto, because, you know, he doesn't want, she doesn't want her son to, uh, you know, insult Indy, and I really love the, especially the character of Julieta. You know, it's very, very interesting. Like, she likes Indy, but she also doesn't. It's very, very mysterious. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. You know, she's a little bit shy, and we kind of see how, you know, she's a little bit distant with Indy at times, which we obviously see at the end of the episode when she just throws him and Ernest Hemingway to the curb. But um, <laughs> well, what's kind of interesting as well is uh, we see, obviously, Pernilla August here, who was uh, Shmi Skywalker in, in Phantom Menace. And speaking of that, 
How about the cheesy dialogue here? I'm getting a flashback to the Attack of the Clones romances between Anakin and Padme here with some of this just very cheesy dialogue here. It's not horrible, but a little bit at the beginning here is just so funny, especially how Indy just kind of makes up all this stuff to try to, you know, sway Julietta a little bit more. It's just, oh God, you know, it's just kind of funny to watch. A little bit embarrassing as well. Yes, it is. And I you know, I just really love it. I love this. Also, the scenery inside Julieta's house is super beautiful. It definitely is. Yeah, very nice house as well. And uh, the grandmother there as well is getting feisty as well. Doesn't like <laughs> Indy right from the start. I love the character of the grandmother because, you know, she, like, you will see later in the episode when Indy and Ernest Hemingway are invited to dinner, but that's later in the episode. The grandmother is just having the time of her life. And, you know, she really does not, she doesn't like, well, I don't know if she doesn't like Indy, but she doesn't uh, particularly care for him or his personality. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, how that goes throughout the family. Like, Roberto and the grandmother absolutely despise Indy and, you know, just <laughs> could care less about him. And, you know, and the parents, you know, uh, of course, like him and, you know, like having Indy around. And um, so, yeah, so we transition to the next scene here in which Indy meets Ernest Hemingway, uh, the young writer from Chicago, uh, who, of course, was uh, from the uh, earlier scene in which Indy uh, took a ride with them. And I really like this uh, kind of idea here of, you know, both of them being Americans, right? We haven't really seen that in this episode. We also see that with Edith Wharton later, uh, her also being an American. So kind of interesting that that's introduced here. You know, both of them are in the war. Um, and Ernest Hemingway explains how he hasn't really been fighting and uh, kind of asks why Indy's kind of down. Yeah, I mean, he he meets Ernest Hemingway. Uh he asks why Indy is down, and Indy, you know, kind of tells him about Julietta, doesn't ever, doesn't actually say her name, which is very key, um, and Ernest Hemingway kind of tells Indy that he has to beat the other guy at his own game. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned there that he doesn't mention Julietta's name at all until they finally meet there uh, for that kind of dinner that they had for Julietta's birthday. Her name isn't mentioned at all. Great point there as well. Kind of very uh, careful in the dialogue there. And how about the quote that Ernest Hemingway says right when he sees Indy? is like, hey, what's up with you? It looks like you've been hit by a truck. <laughs> 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 Which is an absolute classic right there. And I love as well the dialogue here. My favorite part of this episode has to be how Ernest Hemingway you know, he, he kind of tells Indy, you know, you got to do this. And he almost uh, personifies this other guy who happens to be him, uh, which right, is hilarious. Exactly. It's the best part of the episode because he's referring to him the entire time. Oh, you got to kick this guy to the curb. You know, gets more flowers. You got to get more flowers. You know, all this stuff. He's talking about himself the whole time. Best part of the episode, definitely. Right. And, you know, that's what actually Indy, uh, or sorry, Ernest Hemingway says the our quote from the beginning here, which is really hilarious, because Ernest Hemingway is telling Indy to beat him, which is really, really funny. Right, this kind of juxtaposition of love and war, which, yeah, I love the theme of that, by the way. It is kind of a very simple theme, like the thematic idea of just love and war. But I think it works in this, in this uh, show very well, because, you know, both of those are kind of, uh, uh, you know, very fixated on this idea of the war years. And, of course, uh, I like the Julieta relationship and how it blends with Indy still being in the war, rather if just the whole sort of northern Italy section wasn't included at all. So I do like that as well. And, um, yeah, so I like as well how we have this interesting scene here. 
um, in which we kind of transition back and forth. And well, actually, before that, we see this scene where Ernest Hemingway and Indy are as drunk as can be. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what was going on there. And I love how he falls over that kind of like pavement right there, just falls over the bridge right there. It's hilarious. Yeah, they're just stumbling outside, you know, yelling at each other, like having the time of their lives. And then they just both fall down. <laughs> right. And the quote as well is hilarious. You know, I'll beat the crap out of him. And you know, of course, we're referring to Ernest Hemingway at this point. So really, really a joy as well, how we just don't have any idea what's going on. And again, kind of going back to, you mentioned kind of these little things that you, that you kind of notice with the idea of uh, not mentioning Julieta's name. How about the fact that uh, the picture that we always see is actually of Alfredo and not Ernest Hemingway, which goes very well with this idea of we're not sure who the other guy is. There's actually kind of a, there's actually three of them involved in this, but we just never meet Alfredo at all. So I like how they showed the picture of Alfredo instead of Ernest Hemingway, just so that we as the audience didn't know that nice kind of irony there. Right, yes, it is very ironic, you know, I I guess you, we never really see, uh, you know, Alfredo bringing Julieta flowers or even, she never even mentions Alfredo, which is very, very interesting until the very end. And then we transition right back to the Alps where Indy is, he's in the mountain again, but none of his soldiers are there. And so he, uh, he kind of grabs the knife as he hears someone uh, coming down the tunnel. And I find it very interesting that Indy doesn't, you know, go and ask who the guy is. But, I mean, I kind of get it because it's the war. So you don't know if that guy is, you know, someone from an opposing, you know, maybe he's like, maybe he's the French or maybe he's Belgian and not German. Even though Indy is Belgian or French, you know, he's posing as a German over here, which I find very, very interesting. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to mention as well is uh, something that's interesting about this is I kind of noticed a similar parallel to the uh, tunnel scene from Trenches of Hell here with this idea of Indy grabbing the knife. Uh, he holds it in his hand and he hides right behind there. And just as he turns the corner, he almost grabs the guy. Really, really like that. Kind of a flashback to an earlier episode. Not sure if that was intentional or not, but did definitely remind me of kind of that warrior feel again. I like this kind of mountain here because anyone could really come in there. And that's kind of where they used to hide out. So we see that one guy over there. Really, really like that, the suspense of it. And then, of course, you know, he says, you know, you know, don't kill me, don't kill me. You know, um, you know, everyone's gone, you know. I like as well how we kind of transition to this next scene in which uh, we see sort of the commander, the colonel, whoever it is. Uh, and, you know, he tells Indy, you know, you kind of seem jumpy. Like, what's going on? He's like, I've got something else in my mind. As, you know, uh, he thinks it could potentially be a trap, but Indy wants to go ahead with the attack anyway. So uh, we transition to the next scene here in which uh, Indy brings more flowers to Julieta. But... Um, the grandma and Roberto don't have a change of heart when that happens. Yes, they do not. Indy goes right inside and gives Julieta an entire bouquet of flowers this time, which, uh, you know, she promptly accepts. And he also gives her some gifts. And I love the grandmother because she starts feasting on these chocolates, which is kind of hilarious. Right, and we notice there that it's obviously from uh, the other man as uh, we look over to the piano and there's these huge vases of just uh, flowers and flowers and flowers just filling up the entire top <laughs> of the piano there. And of course, Indy's uh, just one bunch was not enough as the other guy decided to step up his game. And uh, we have this next scene here in which we really kind of see this uh, tension between, or sort of uh, how the relationship develops between um, Indy and uh, Julieta here as they get go on a walk. And Indy wants to be alone with Julieta and, uh, you know, keeps walking and leaving the grandmother behind, which I guess serves her right considering she hates Indy at this point and just said his <laughs> gifts were absolute garbage. Uh, but it's funny. And I love this scene here for a few reasons. Uh, one, 
this reminds me of Indiana Jones movies. And, you know, of course, uh, Max and I, we love talking about uh, little, little details that reflect the movies. And this reminds me of one. This idea of these split-second decisions, Harrison Ford uh, kind of, you know, doing things right on the fly is what Indy does here as he sees uh, kind of this line of trucks on the street grab Julietta's hand and runs right through them uh, just as they cross and leaves the grandmother on the other side. And I love the beautiful scene when they run across and lose the grandmother and they go up to this beautiful view on kind of the top of like a hill. It's very, very beautiful. And they look over the town and it's beautiful scenery. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I love that sort of top shot of the, of the hill there and uh, which really offsets all these lies and just starts making up <laughs> about how dangerous his you know new mission is and uh, i love as well the close-ups on both of them as we see both of their kind of moods and opinions change there as indy you know starts making up all sorts of stuff uh, and again very nice mountain view over there and you know he says you know i could be wounded or even worse and he's horrible here he just keeps making stuff up i mean it, it, this is like i know this is indiana jones but like he's horrible man he just keeps making stuff up to try to get julietta it's it's just it's so bad yeah i mean he's telling her about this quote unquote new mission he has and how you know it's super dangerous and you know julietta finally kisses indy and they stops kissing right as the grandmother comes up over the hill which is perfect timing <laughs> right and indy clearly makes a move right there which as we transition to the next scene ernest hemingway did not like that idea at all uh you know what you did you told her what you know now that you're going to be gone on this next mission. This other guy is going to comfort her. He's going to move right in, you know? And you kind of just, you know, uh, psychologically, that was probably the thing you wanted to do. And Julietta likes you at this point. But now, you know, that's now that you're going to be gone in a way, the other guy's going to swoop right in. And so, uh, yeah, and uh, I love as well, Indy's kind of dumb as a rock on this one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one thing I noticed from this episode, out of all these episodes, this is the biggest uh, maturity lesson uh, because Indy goes from just being really, really naive and trying to get Julietta the entire time to being very, very mature and smart as he quickly figures out everything with the entire French traitor and Colonel Bonet in the second half. I mean, how about that maturity leap right there, uh, which is funny. And Indy clearly doesn't learn his lesson for Scandal 1920 because uh, <laughs> in this situation, of course, we have Julietta who is going after, you know, multiple different people and uh, Indy does the exact opposite in Scandal 1920 and clearly doesn't learn his lesson from this one. So yeah, a, a big sort of uh, characterization episode in terms of maturity in this one. Oh yes, definitely. And I, you know, you got to keep in mind, Indy is only about 17 years old at, at this time. And Ernest Hemingway, I believe is a few years older than him. So, you know, Indy still has a lot to learn and he does uh, through his many, many, many relationships throughout the entire series. Oh, yes, that's a fair point. He does learn a lot of, about that. And I love as well here how we kind of incorporate, I guess, a little bit of Ernest Hemingway in the sense that, like, what he will eventually do in the future as a writer. But one of the things I wanted to bring up and talk about here is, you know, these are this, the idea of historical figures. And we've talked about this before with... Um, many others. For example, Picasso, who I am a big fan of, the actor who played Picasso, and I thought he did a wonderful job, you know, bringing that character to life and giving his own unique perspective on Picasso. Here, I felt like this was a little bit of a challenge for a few reasons. First of all, Ernest Hemingway is a writer, and you really don't see that in the entire episode. So that's my first issue. Secondly, I've also felt like Ernest Hemingway was very young in this. So I'm curious to wonder how much research they actually did, and whether you, Max, as well, 
thought that this was a good interpretation of Ernest Hemingway. Like, because at least for me, I don't know a whole lot about Ernest Hemingway, and I wasn't necessarily convinced that this was believable as Ernest Hemingway. Maybe that's just because I don't know enough about him, but I did feel like his age played a huge factor here as it just kind of seemed like Indy's good old friend. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a crap ton about Ernest Hemingway either. I think that, you know, this is more... I think Ernest Hemingway was more incorporated just because they don't really... We don't really know anything about Ernest Hemingway. We don't, you know, we don't really learn that he's a writer or any of that about this. We mainly see him as just Indy's uh, friend kind of here in the war. And that's really... That's mainly what they focus on. And so I think, you know it's not so much there as kind of like a historical lesson as it more is just kind of, you know, a happy kind of like comic relief character almost. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I think they used his role as more of just kind of a comic relief character than an actual historical lesson. And I guess that's one of the things that's interesting about this episode is we talk about how George Lucas was so insistent on making all of these episodes historical lessons I'm not really sure if there's a huge historical lesson that's really coming through here. Obviously, we see Indies in the war, sure, but I mean, I don't know if there's really a huge historical lesson that's shining through in this episode. So again, going back to this idea of comic relief, kind of in the Barcelona one, but I mean, you still had a little bit of war in that one, because it was talking about, you know, kind of how to influence Spain, who was neutral, and then sort of the bureaucracy of 1917 in, in Prague. Here, I think this is just more of a lighthearted comic relief one, which I guess is fine, but yeah, it's certainly different when we talk about incorporating these historical figures, you know, very different from Ned for example. Uh, so kind of interesting there. And um, uh, one of the things uh, that's interesting about this scene here is uh, Indy starts to write a love letter. And I like how he uh, decides, uh, decides to write down an entire poem that's not original <laughs> in the letter. And actually, uh, something I noticed uh, for the very first time, actually, as we were as I was rewatching this for this podcast episode, is that uh, Ernest Hemingway actually reuses that exact quote that Indy states in the letter from that poem later to Julietta. I never have noticed this before, but he reuses the same thing as he tries to sort of sway Julietta a little bit later, which I thought was hilarious. That is interesting. I didn't notice that, but that's super, that's kind of funny. I wonder, and you know, Julietta doesn't mention anything about it. I wonder if she noticed or if that's just kind of like a continuity error, maybe a little goof there. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting as well. And so I really enjoyed that they kind of threw that in there because I've never actually paid attention to that, um, which is kind of funny. And yeah, so of course, uh, Ernest Hemingway makes up this whole love letter with this sunrise analogy and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, then we transition kind of back to the war. I like how it goes back and forth from love and war to love and war. And we see that here with this next scene. Yes, we do. And then we move into Indy back with his with the his eye patch and no arm. And they are running across the no man's land. And I really kind of love this scene because it's very, very detailed. Also, I don't know if it's a matte painting back back in for the background i really couldn't tell but it looks very authentic and very very good set design if it was a set yeah i really like this scene as well it's kind of cool how we keep transitioning back and forth and back and forth uh as we see indy kind of uh running across uh, what seems like no man's land here as they run to the other side as well um and very very interesting how uh, this pairs. And again, I like what you said about this idea of kind of incorporating these matte paintings. You do see a few throughout these episodes, but it is hard to tell for this one, for this episode, I thought, because uh, a lot of these did look pretty real, kind of going back to the trenches in Verdun or trenches of hell itself. Um, so really, really interesting. And um, yeah, it goes right off of that into uh, 
Indy and, uh, you know, the family watching Julietta play the piano. And we have this great famous piece, The Swan, uh, which is played on cello and piano here, which I thought was really, really interesting. And we kind of, you know, uh, see where Indy gets his idea for uh, potentially playing music with Julietta. Yes, I also love the kind of style of the piano here because it's not like a classic upright or grand piano. It almost looks like it's like an old style kind of organ. I really love the style of it. It's very, very interesting. Oh, wow. That's actually a good point. Yeah, now that I'm remembering that, it doesn't look like a huge grand piano. It's kind of one of those old classic ones, which is awesome. And um, I'll be honest here, as a cellist myself, uh, was a little bit dis uh, disappointed in the uh, cello playing in this episode. Uh, Mystery of the Blues, which uh, is a fantastic episode, which we'll get to, has some great uh, sort of authentic, uh, you know, actors who play the instruments exactly how they're supposed to be played and there was an interview with with the composer Joel McNeely who stated that you know they really worked hard on trying to you know get uh kind of have that authenticity there uh kind of slacked off a little bit on this one with the cello playing I mean it's not horrible um but I mean it's, it's kind of funny to see it as well um, but I did like that they incorporated so many of these classical pieces we have the swan here and then later we have the William Tell Overture which is the classic as Indy gets this idea and uh um, Roberto was such a crook as well. He's so funny as well in this next scene as, you know, he just glances at Indy with that hilarious stare. And um, Indy comes up with this idea to potentially get a flute. Right. I mean, you know, he's with uh, Hemingway and, you know, he hands he hands him a flute or, what you know, what looks like a flute. Indy tries to, he just blows on it and nothing comes out, which I really love. And then he goes back and just finds the soprano saxophone and plays it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I love the scene here when they uh, meet kind of the 23rd Regiment over here and they have a band and... Uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway, he loves the idea of playing music, which is hilarious because at this point we see how that kind of, you know, offsets the tone later. And yeah, and I love how everyone makes fun of him too. <laughs> as, you know, poor Indy in this episode, you know, as he's trying to play the flute, plays it completely incorrectly and then grabs the soprano sax, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, everyone cheers and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I love when Ernest Hemingway says, what in the God's name is that? As, you know, he pulls out the, uh, the, the soprano sax there. And um, we see that later in the episode as well. And I, I really enjoyed how they kind of added that element to it. And there's a great reference here, by the way, as well, to an unproduced episode of uh, Young Indy in which they were, uh, Indy and Remy were supposedly going to be in basic training uh, in La Havre, which is, uh, I, th I think, in France, if I remember correctly. That was supposed to be an episode. And they threw kind of that reference in there. How awesome. Oh, yes. He's like, oh, I used to pl mess around with one of these when I was back in basic training. And I'm like, I didn't realize at the time that it was a reference to an episode. But now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that is very, very interesting. And that's actually kind of cool. You know, as we've said, there are a lot there are quite a few unproduced episodes or episodes that were, you know, start that were, uh, you know, in George Lucas's head, but never actually got produced because obviously, as we know, the show kind of ran out of money. Right, exactly. So it's kind of interesting though that they threw those in there. We saw that one in Palestine with the reference to the Harry Houdini episode. And of course, we will eventually do our episode as we talk about all those because there are some awesome ideas that uh, have been uh, kind of known over the years. Uh, and it's really, really cool to see what they were going to come up with. So um, and then we transition to this next scene here, which is probably the climax, this first part of the episode here, in which Indy goes to Julieta's house uh, for her birthday. So the door gets answered by Julieta's father, and Indy is there, and Julieta's father is not really excited to see him. Julieta's father goes right in to the kitchen after he seats Indy outside, and this is when it is revealed that Julieta's father has uh, invited Ernest Hemingway as well, which obviously, as we know, is going to be quite a problem. 
Yeah, and it's hilarious here how, you know, they all kind of talk and there's this dramatic music going uh, in the background as well. And, you know, he's like, the problem is I invited the other one. He's like, the <laughs> other one? And, you know, I love how as well um, Julieta's mother just drops the spaghetti twice. It was right off the plate as, you know, they're like, what will become of our family, our honor, you know? And, uh, oh my God, there's a hilarious thing as well here. Um, I like how as well uh, the, the grandmother... Uh, says, this is an absolute scandal. You should have never married her. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> as he's talking to his father. That's so funny. Um, and yeah, I love it as well. As Julieta, you know, her life is just ruined as they've invited both of them. And this is just a huge mess. And Indy answers the door and realizes that Hemingway's on the other side. Right. It's like, Ernest? And it's just, it's hilarious because, you know, they then transition right into the dinner scene where uh, Indy and Hemingway start uh, one-upping each other on seeing how much they can eat. Yeah, man, this is an all-you-can-eat buffet, young Indy style. I mean, <laughs> I mean, literally, this is a great scene. Very good acting. It's well done. If you look closely at uh, um, Julieta's mother and father, you can tell they're almost trying not to uh, trying not to laugh uh, and, and kind of break their lines there. It's hilarious seeing this. Again, you know, I love pasta. You know, pasta's good. Pasta's really good. You know, they just keep scooping the entire thing tomatoes you know all this stuff and then they bring out the fruit the cheese you know oh my gosh it's it's absolutely fantastic how they did this i still get a good kick out of this every time i watch this and again how about that big reveal of ernest hemingway i mean you know we i've we, of course both of us have watched this episode before but the first time you have no idea that ernest hemingway is at all connected with this we think it's going to be this just random guy we've never seen before and that just adds to the fun of it is you know they've obviously been talking about this the whole time and so i really kind of like this creative spin on this you know, kind of simple love story here. It's really, really fun to watch. It was really great to watch. And I also love how Ernest Hemingway, after, you know, they've eaten a crap ton. I know I could never eat that much in one sitting. He excuses himself. We're like, uh-oh, you know, is he is he uh, not going to, uh, not all that food is sitting so well. But then we all of a sudden hear cello playing. Yeah, and uh, I love Indy's face there. He cracks a good old smile. He's like, you know, I've got this out of the can. You know, goodbye, ta-ta. Uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway's gone. You know, he, he he can't get through it. And then we hear, you know, this sweet sound of the cello. And by the way, I love how Julietta, like, barely talks during all of this. It's hilarious because she <laughs> she just watched Indian uh, Ernesto, as the family calls him. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's great. And, of course, we have this great piece, you know, cello and... Indy's just in a mad... He's incandescent with rage in this. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) he just has nothing to do with this. And he goes full throttle, no breaks. Ooh, I'm using my young Indy quotes like nobody's business here. He goes full throttle, no breaks as he goes and grabs the soprano sax. And they get into a pretty awesome version of the William Tell Overture, if I'm going to be honest. Yes, and something I wanted to mention also is uh, as uh, Indy is playing and they're all kind of, you know, coming together, the grandmother is really enjoying herself as she's dancing along to the William Tell Overture, which I find really hilarious. Yeah, it's interesting how you get different reactions in the family. Like, some of them are completely appalled at what's going on. And, oh my god, Ernest Hemingway is taking that bow to shreds. He is wrecked. You can see all the hair is just completely getting broken there as he's playing the William Tell Overture. And how about a great scene as well, adding to the tension, because you can see Indy's face and... Sean Patrick Flannery is a really good actor. And, I mean, we've talked about this before, but to me, it's so hard to do a young version of such a famous character. Like, despite the fact this was a TV show, despite the fact that, you know, this show uh, is is 
not often regarded with the movies, you still were taking a big gamble, you know, with this show. You know, were people really going to enjoy Sean Patrick Flannery? And I think often Sean Patrick Flannery goes unnoticed because people didn't like the fact that the show was so history heavy. And to me, I thought Sean Patrick Flannery did an absolutely phenomenal job. The little things, the tension, you know, he's just a fantastic actor giving us that sort of tension and kind of that macho uh, sort of um, uh, feel of, of Harrison Ford, especially in this one right here, uh, as we kind of see both of them leave and, you know, they just keep throwing punches right outside Julieta's <laughs> house, by the way, uh, which is hilarious. And, and that was some really good acting by both of them. Yes, I really love, you know, the acting is really great, especially after that scene. You know, the entire family's like, bye-bye, please leave our house. <laughs> and, right. you know, they, they throw punches. And this is really, I mean, this the climax, this is really the height of the climax here because Indy and Hemingway just start sabotaging each other like nobody's business. Oh, definitely. And it's so interesting. Like, they did a very good job, kind of the tension of that relationship. We see, you know, it goes right downhill. They've known each other for a few days, probably at this point. And then we see, you know, <laughs> that's really where they kind of both get ticked off with each other. And we've got this whole scene right here in which they just kind of try to one up each other, you know, um, they, they, uh, we, we both see this next scene in which, of course, they're right outside the house, and they start, you know, kind of serenading up at the window. And meanwhile, the maid just throws some shoes at him. I love the note. Uh, this wonderful fragrance reminds me of you as he grabs like an old sinky piece of fish and just and replaces the note with that instead of the flowers. How fantastic. Yes, and I also love when Indy puts itching powder in Hemingway's pants. <laughs> right, and that's actually when he says the poem, actually, that I was talking about from earlier. That's when he recites the poem as he starts scratching his legs. If you want to go back to the episode and listen to it, it's funny. He's like, beauty. And then, you know, he's just scratching his legs. He's like, oh my god. That was funny, actually. I love how he yeah, kind of threw some itching powder in there. And then, yeah, and then it's funny how as well, again, going back to this idea... Ernest Hemingway has been referring to himself this whole time and, you know, <laughs> saying all this stuff about him when it's really been him, you know, kind of uh, the, the other guy that Indy's been competing against. And so, um, of course, they bring them cats, dogs, you know, parrots, all these ideas. They, you know, show these scenes of them going in the house. Fantastic creative episode. The sound effects are just funny, too, as we hear all of this uh, kind of stuff in the background. And um, how about this uh, interesting scene in which uh, they decide to sort of um, uh, come to a truce, I guess you could say. Yes, they do finally come to a truce. They decide that they should let Julieta decide who she wants to marry or be with. And so they both go to Julieta's house with boxes of flowers. And uh, they they come in and then we uh, it is revealed that Julieta is in her wedding dress. Yeah, big reveal right there as we uh, kind of walk in. How about those quotes as well from both of them? You know, pack your bags, you big ape, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> as, you know, India's shirt, he's got this thing wrapped up. And yeah, we see this scene in which I love their faces, by the way. How hilarious. Both of them just completely stunned that Julieta obviously is in this uh, wedding dress. And of course, they both... Uh, how about the best twist here? You know, I like as well how something funny that I kind of picked up on this time uh, when watching this episode is... I like how both of them assume that one of them is going to marry the other, but neither uh. of them proposed to her at all, which I found kind of funny. Uh, they both assumed that she was just going to marry one of them right there, and then, of course, they both yell, Alfredo, and oh, what a classic. Of course, we have this kind of last scene here uh, in which we see um, these great shots of planes above dropping these grenades, and, of course, Indian and Hemingway are furious with each other, um, and, and both of them kind of get injured from the blow and kind of help each other back. 
uh, to the kind of infirmary there. And I really like that moment because uh, it's kind of a heartfelt scene as we kind of see them, you know, you know, it wasn't Julietta who really was important. It was their friendship. And um, of course, their friendship remains throughout the show as we see small appearances uh, in Scandal 1920 and a big uh, reappearance from Hemingway uh, in uh, Mystery of the Blues as well. So really like how that kind of ends up nicely. You know, it doesn't just end kind of yeah. on a note there, but it just, they, they actually do have a friendship that sticks. Yes, and right before the infirmary, something I wanted to mention is as they are arguing and they're furious with each other, they're just casually walking while bombs are being dropped right behind them. They're just, they just casually keep walking and then obviously... You know, Hemingway uh, say, finally saves Indy as because Indy went back to save Hemingway, and they both end up in the infirmary, and they kind of, this is when they call their official truce to never chase the same girl again. Right, exactly. And, of course, they do that right as they see this nurse come, uh, and they both look at her with kind of uh, that same uh, sort of look, which, of course, adds to the hilarious part. And I like as well how... Um, you know, it, it's, uh, we see Hemingway get his medal there because he was mentioning that earlier that he never got a medal. He was never able to fight. Uh, he was the first um, wounded American in Italy and he got that medal there, which is kind of interesting. So that historical element was kind of thrown in there. But um, yeah, that kind of abruptly ends the first half of the episode, which transitions into the sort of Venice sequence here. So yes, we move into this transition here. And I want to mention right off the bat, this second half of the episode here was actually filmed in 1996. It was made for the re-edits and is called Morocco 1917. And actually the first half of the half of the episode was uh, originally 1918, but uh, was renamed for 1917 when they uh, did the re-edits. And I also love the, uh, this is kind of the transition in between the first half and the second half of the episode here, where uh, Indy is given an assignment to go to uh, Venice to find out his real assignment in Venice, and Nurse Sophia is going to come with him. Yeah, so we start off this kind of mini transition accompanied with what is known as Morocco 1917. This is actually the longest Young Indie episode in the entire series, as this second half was made specifically for the re-edit. So, uh, no one had ever seen this episode until it was uh, officially released on the DVD box sets uh, in 2007. So kind of cool. And uh, yeah, we start off with this transition in Venice where Nurse Sophia comes with Indy. Of course, um, we, I really love these Venice shots, by the way. Kind of a small precursor to the next episode, actually, Masks of Evil, which is kind of fun. Um, and I really, really enjoy uh, kind of how we have this uh, idea of, you know, Indy kind of where's the connection between the first episode or the first half and the second half? So Indy falls in love with Nurse Sophia, as we see here with this great scenery. And how about those amazing buildings and um, kind of that flashback here as uh, whoever Indy meets with is talking about all his accomplishments, you know, uh, kind of, uh, he's been in Palestine and, you know, uh, everything that happened, you know, just before this episode. So really awesome there. Yes, I completely agree. It is very, very interesting. And I also love, uh, you know, we obviously know that India kind of has a, a bit of a thing for Nurse Sophia, but they, and they both make out on the train, which is very interesting. And I kind of like, you know, how they incorporated the nurse there, just to even in this transition area, because she kind of has a funny uh, kind of character, even though we almost never see her talk. Yeah, that is interesting as well. I, we do never have almost any dialogue from uh, Nurse Sophia at all, and yet they kind of throw her in there. It's a little bit interesting, and I'll talk about this once we finish the episode here on kind of my thoughts on the transition here. It's interesting to see, kind of see, you know, what they were trying to do here with Nurse Sophia and the fact that Indy goes to Venice, then Morocco. 
Um, and yeah, he gets his assignment uh, and he's going to be in North Africa. And there's actually no war over there. Um, but a, supposedly there's some weapons that are kind of being smuggled over the border to rebels in uh, sort of North Africa that would potentially stir up uh, a cause to add Africa in the war. Yes. Also, something I find very interesting is when Indy is, you know, he's going to get his assignment in Venice, he's all of a sudden fine and walking. Uh, he was just in a wheelchair right before that. I mean, you know, they are in Italy, so it can't be too much time, but, you know, it could have been a day or two. And, I mean, Indy wasn't severely hurt. He kind of just uh, broke his leg, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, kind of something simple like that, I think. I don't think it was too bad. And then we kind of transition here into this next section, which um, Indy basically has to say goodbye to everyone in Venice. And, you know, I, I really want to say actually here that I, this was kind of a heartfelt scene, which actually was very interesting, considering, like you mentioned, we've never even heard from Nurse Sophia, but the music, I felt, really added to it. Kind of heartfelt scene as Indy says goodbye to Nurse Sophia here, uh, you know, kind of waves goodbye on the boat there, and kind of an interesting scene that was added there. Yes, I completely agree. Also, he waves goodbye to all the nurses, which all seem to have a thing for him, which is really, really funny. Yeah, that was kind of interesting, actually. Uh, yeah, Indy seems to move from move on from Julieta in no time, basically. Uh, yeah, so kind of interesting that they have that element there. And I like how he gets on a steamship, and we transition to Morocco. And right off the bat, first thing I wanted to mention, the first shot of Morocco is actually a reused matte painting from the first opening shot of Phantom Train of Doom. Oh, actually, yeah, no, now that I think about it, you're right. It does look very, very similar, if not the same. I mean, obviously, you know, they were on a very short time crunch here when they did, when they, you know, had to film this second half for the re-edit. So I guess they kind of just threw whatever they could, you know, get into a separate episode together. And they probably just had to use whatever they had laying on hand. Yeah, and actually, that brings up a good point that I wanted to ask you about. Um, speaking of kind of this episode here, you'll notice there's some reuses of music from Daredevils here. And again, this idea of reusing shots from previous episodes to kind of speed up the process. But this episode, along with Tangiers, uh, which is the second half of My First Adventure, were both uh, made in 1996, were both actually in the same location, as we see in Morocco here, and were, three were not actually part of the original storyline for Young Indiana Jones. Like, these weren't supposed to be season three episodes. So my question to you is, um, uh, George Lucas was filming uh, in 1997 uh, The Phantom Menace. And he had to do some scenes in Tatooine, which is the which is what he shot in Morocco. So my question to you is, do you think that he potentially added these scenes specifically because he was kind of on a tight schedule and budget and just happened to be shooting stuff for Phantom Menace and in, in, uh, for kind of the Tatooine scenes and just happened to do uh, the Young Indy stuff while he was there? Possibly. I, you know, I don't know. that It's definitely a possibility, though. And, you know, it... Yeah, they do reuse a lot of stuff, and, you know, there are, as you said, there are a few Star Wars references throughout the entire Indiana Jones series just in general, so it's very possible. Yeah, I've just always thought it's so interesting how, like, both these two episodes, if you look at them, are very similar in terms of the style and, like, how quickly they were going to go off, especially the structure of the actual plot itself. It's not super complex, you know, so they can really kind of breeze through it quickly. But ironically enough, this actually is the longest episode in the whole show, and this was one of the added um, episodes for later. So kind of interesting there as well. And, um, 
Yeah, so uh, Indy kind of gets his briefing assignment here as he's going to travel to the outskirts of the desert where there are some rebel uprisings. And these weapons are basically being transferred and they need to find some serial numbers or actually obtain the weapons themselves to find out who is actually supplying them. Yes, and, you know, then we transition into the scene where he is trekking across the desert, which, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of Daredevils. Uh, very, look, the desert that they are trekking across looks suspiciously similar. It does, and I really like that shot there, by the way, of that scorpion. Did you see that? That kind of, that... like, scurries right across? That was actually a great shot. I love how the horse steps on it. I thought that the, you know, horse was going to, like, freak out, but no, the horse just steps on it like nobody's business. Yeah, it's so interesting how they got that shot. It's really cool. Uh, I don't know if that was just a coincidence where they happened to want to get that. I'm sure it was just a coincidence they happened to see some scorpion just come out of the sand there as they were shooting those great shots. But yeah, how about a flashback to Daredevils there with that great, nice sand element? And of course, Indy looks a little bit older in this episode, hence the reason, uh, you know, it was shot in 1996. Of course, Indy looks slightly older in this one, uh, but, you know, still kind of the same um, sort of age. So it's not that bad. Um, and I really like this quote as well here um, that uh, the, the guy says right before he leaves on, on the trek. He says, uh, here in Morocco, the enemy is everywhere. And that immediately adds that suspense, especially uh, with, with the idea that almost no one suspected it's, it's Colonel Bonet at all, who is uh, kind of in this whole sort of arms deal here. Very interesting. Yes, definitely. We Nobody suspects it at all. But, uh, you know, it, they are, as they're trekking across the desert, the sergeant, you know, uh, Indy asked the sergeant for water, and uh, it turns out it's definitely not water what he has in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like schnapps or something, I think is what it's, he says, yeah. Yeah, it's some type of alcohol, I'm not exactly sure what. Which actually comes to good use here as we see these rebels attack from the top. And we kind of have a similar situation to kind of uh, Indy, Jack, and um, Colonel Minersog invading the Turks. Kind of a similar situation as they run across, but they do get captured as uh, they reach kind of the mountain there and this camp inside the tent. And they're immediately sentenced to death as, you know, they've kind of come out here and interfered with the rebels here. And uh, a really cool ploy that Indy comes up with, this idea of kind of uh, using the schnapps and uh, the cigarette there. Yes, I really, he's like, fine, but I have one last request, one last cigarette. Uh, and, you know, he's like, fine, give him a cigarette. And Indy, you know, he, uh, he, you know, the other guys don't know it's alcohol. They think it's water. He's like, my mouth is a bit dry. And so he, you know, he... He drinks it, and he, uh, well, he appears to swallow it, but actually, as soon as the guy uh, lights the lighter, he spits it out and lights the other guys on fire. Yeah, it's a very interesting scene here, as he, like, yeah, the whole thing, it's, like, kind of a cool trick, but it was definitely very harsh as well. And they immediately escape, and they get through the barrier just in time. And it's kind of interesting here how we have this idea of, kind of, uh, the, these two separate sections, because Indy actually grabs some papers from that bag, and uh, the guy says, you know, you've been here five minutes, uh, Captain Duval, and you've already ac accomplished your assignment as they realize the serial numbers are actually French. Yes, you know, they, it, that's very interesting. And I also love how, you know, they, the, especially the city and the scenery is very, very beautiful. It, you know, it's so awesome, the scenery in all, in all the episodes, but especially this city here. It also kind of reminds me of, uh, what was the name of the city uh, that they were doing uh, in Daredevils of the Desert? It looks kind of very similar. Oh, yeah, definitely. It does look a little bit similar as well, especially uh, it kind of has that same feel as kind of Cairo as well. So again, kind of those familiar locations, you know, is, is really <laughs> fantastic. 
Yes, definitely completely agree. So Indy gets to the city and he uh, has already, uh, supposedly, after 10 minutes of being here, since they find the serial numbers and that they are actually French, he goes to the general and he needs to get to uh, the other... Uh, he needs to get to the other city, so he's going to be traveling with Edith Warden, a famous American author. Yeah, and we kind of have this interesting uh, idea of, again, Indy meeting uh, an American woman in this episode. Obviously, uh, he met Ernest Hemingway in the last section of this, which is kind of interesting. And yeah, so basically, to not arise suspicion of him kind of traveling to the city here, uh, he is going to go escort Edith Wharton to meet the great Sheikh Kamal, who's played by Roseanne Seth or Chatter Lal. So that's really, really awesome. And by the way, one thing I wanted to mention is one of the guys right there uh, who is with uh, the general there looks like Major Eaton from Raiders. He kind of does. He has that same sort of uh, kind of... Uh, that, that voice, and he looks a little bit like him, too, which I thought was kind of funny. Yes, very, very similar. I wonder if he was just uncredited or something. I mean, I doubt it, but that is very interesting. And now that I think about it, yeah, he does look very, very similar and sounds very similar. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm sure it was a different actor, but uh, he looks a lot similar to Major Eden, which I thought was kind of funny. And so I really like this idea of kind of the espionage secrecy of the second half, you know, uh, get find the traitor, get the weapons away from the rebels, and that sort of stuff. And um, that transitions right to the next scene in which uh, Indy meets Edith uh, at the carriage. So yes, Indy meets Edith at the carriage, and as they head off on their journey, Indy tells his whole story about how he got into the French intelligence. You know, also tells her about how he's from New Jersey, uh, you know, as well. He's also an American. Yeah, I really like that. And since this episode was recorded way later, I really like that they added this element of continuity of Indy kind of recounting everything that's happened so far with Nancy and Vicky. And that was really awesome. Yes, it's very awesome. I also love how, you know, just, you know, how he can actually reference these episodes because this was recorded way later. And so there's not like different continuity errors like there have been in some of the previous episodes where they reference episodes that we haven't seen yet. Right, exactly. So the continuity works a little bit better here since this was shot afterwards. And right off the bat, you kind of sense that, you know, Edith and Indy have kind of a strong connection here. As you know, he says, oh, I haven't talked this long, you know, with anyone in ages. And, you know, um, they, they kind of, you know, there's a lot of dialogue here, especially in the second half of the episode that actually is pretty well done. There was some nice dialogue here that they added here. Uh, these great shots, by the way. I love where they're sitting. How about that mountain in the background? Oh, it looks really, really cool. These waterfall and sunsets uh, that they see as they, as you know, they um, talk about, you know, all these kind of, uh, places that they're trying to travel through in order to get to the city of Hydran. And so we see all these great shots with this great music, and Indy talks about his archaeology pursuits, which I liked as well. Yes, he ha they have a very romantic date, and Indy talks about, you know, how he wants to become an archaeologist. He's been very interested in archaeology, and I think that's really, really cool. And I also, you know, I love the scene where this, you know, writer just randomly comes up to Edith and asks if he can trail along. Not suspicious at all. Right, exactly. Very interesting. Uh, this American writer, Mr. Uh, Lowell Thomas, I think was his name. Uh, basically, he's writing an American newspaper uh, about Mrs. Wharton because she's here, uh, you know, in Hydron in the middle of a war meeting Sheikh Kamal. Like, that make a great story. And uh, of course, uh, they have this great next scene here, which I love the transition of this. There's some great dialogue and some nice thematic stuff that happens here. First of all, um, he talks about Ned in Arabia. And we and you mentioned this last time, Max, how uh, you know Ned doesn't like the fame of being called Lawrence of Arabia, but this guy is trying to kind of expose him almost. 
Right. I mean, he mentions T.E. Lawrence, which I really love. And I love how Indy just kind of doesn't comment on it. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue specifically between Mr. Thomas and Edith Wharton here, especially this idea of kind of fiction versus nonfiction. Really like this dialogue conversation. Kind of interesting. Um, and I, I really love what um, Edith says here, you know. So your job is to provide the public with heroes. And, you know, they obviously have very different perspectives and views as, you know, Edith Wharton was a very famous novelist who, you know, had very intimate books about relationships with people, but it was all fiction. And, you know, this idea of there's kind of this sense of privacy with nonfiction that you need to uh, respect. And so it is interesting how Indy kind of observes all this and kind of how that tied in with, you know, kind of the idea of uh, Ned and Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I mean, she le she literally does lecture him. She's like, she also lectures him, you know, kind of about keeping uh, these heroes' uh, private info private and not, you know, exposing Ned, as you said. And, you know, then we kind of transition into where uh, they finally get to the city. Right, and uh, they finally meet the great Sheikh Kamal. Uh, who is going to be here, and we see Colonel Bonet as well, who is the French um, colonel who is going to be there, and uh, of course is uh, kind of in charge of, you know, this uh, sort of area. And how about that amazing interior building, right when they come in and meet uh, the colonel's officers? That was a really beautiful building that I liked, and it kind of looked like exactly the same one of Walter Harris's, like, courtyard from My First Adventure. Yes, oh, now that I think about it, you're right, it does... Oh my gosh. I wonder if it is the same set. That looks, it looks very, very similar. It does because right as they walk through, you'll notice there's those four pathways, the big right. tree in the middle. And then, yeah, I was thinking that looks very, very similar to kind of that terrace that Walter Harris had in his house when Indy was playing with Omar. So really, really liked that as well. Kind of maybe some sort of continuity with Tangiers as well there. And how about this great dialogue as well here with Sheikh Kamal, who, by the way, uh, doesn't really look like Chatter Lal right from the start. Chatter Lal had a very different look in Temple of Doom, so it's hard to notice that the actor is the same, but I love this quote here. Um, I see you are most intelligent for a woman, and I see you are most courteous for a man. Kind of an interesting quote here that uh, starts things off as they then go to see the armory building. Right, they go to see uh, their artillery, kind of, and this is, you know, this kind of uh, really, uh, you know, kind of ties into what, to Indy's mission. Indy actually sees the gun, and as they leave, Indy is kind of caught uh, inspecting it uh, as one of the bodyguards comes back in and goes, ahem. Right, this idea of top security, and Indy is very suspicious about this, and I really like this next scene here in which Indy persuades Colonel Bonet to give him a fake signature as he folds the paper in that way and says, uh, you know, the general needs you to sign for this. He's like, I've never signed before. That was the key there. I really liked that. Yes, you know, I, you know, we don't exactly know what it's for, and, you know, then... Uh, as, you know, he signs, they go off. Indy, you know, kind of, he has a little bit of a smirk on his face. And then we transition into this beautiful dinner in this beautiful kind of hall gala area. Right. And yeah, so we kind of see Indy um, and, you know, Edith and Sheikh Kamal there. And uh, one of the things that I really thought was interesting is you can tell kind of these um, ideas of, of love that Edith explains. And you can tell how she's kind of hinting about it at Indy there, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to develop this relationship, which I personally liked. Yes, I really love that. And, you know, one thing that I also like is that Indy, after eating, he excuses himself and the guard who caught him earlier inspecting the guns looks very suspicious. 
He does, yeah. I really like that scene there as well. And it's actually funny how we kind of have this um uh this scene, you know, where we kind of have these there's this musical performance in the belly dancers, and one of them actually looked very similar to Maya, actually. It was kind of funny. I thought it was Maya <laughs> for a second. I was like, oh, because you know, it's funny actually to think about in the last episode, um, remember Maya runs off on the horse and we never see her again. She's not in the last scene, it's only Schiller. So, I mean, we never really know what happens to Maya. Kind of interesting there. Yeah, maybe she maybe she is in this, you know, never know. She maybe she <laughs> ran over to, you know, uh maybe she ran over to here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh you know, Indy he, he you know, he goes to the uh armory building and I also love how when the belly dancers are kind of going, uh the bodyguard whispers something. Right, exactly. As he sees Indy leave and you know, he's very suspicious of Indy and I love this scene here as uh, Indy is really inspecting this. He finds this cool kind of uh, kind of compartment, this tunnel that he opens up with the floorboards there, and he finds another tunnel entrance. And I love as well how he um, you know grabs the rock and throws it over and goes across the border and finds the door to the other hut. And then he goes down and notices that the sand is red on that end, which is kind of cool. Uh, again, kind of reminds me of the trench tunnel scene from Trenches as he's going through this whole thing, gets to the other side and realizes this is how they've been, you know, uh, getting the guns out of there. Because it was obviously the armor building. No one could get in and out. So they had to be some way from the inside in which they were actually smuggling the weapons. Right. And, you know, I love how he comes back to dinner, right? Um, and after inspecting, you know, the passageway, and then he, you know, he kind of, in the next scene, he has to speak to him and tells him what is going on. Right, so he tells Colonel Bonet and Sheikh Kamal uh, about the mission, and uh, very interesting here, by the way, Colonel Bonet doesn't look very suspicious at all. Uh, he really kind of seems uh, just kind of like a normal guy. Uh, not until that actually scene do you really get the suspicion that maybe he has something to do with this. I really liked how he was, kind of the acting he did here it was very well done. Right, it is very well done indeed, you know. So he tells him that, uh, how he kind of figured out that, uh, whoever has been smuggling them across has had red, will have red sand because he found that there was red sand at one end of the tunnel, and then he, uh, orders the bodyguards to take off their boots. Yeah, and it's really cool how, uh, Indy pulls this all together. You know, I, we talked about the kind of the maturity of, you know, Indy being uh, very naive in the last episode and kind of have no clue what's going on fighting against Ernest Hemingway comes into this episode and immediately figures out this plot in about two seconds, you know, and uh, I really like here as you kind of see that Colonel Bonet is a little tense. If you look closely, you can kind of see him and um, right as they find out one of those guys tries to escape. Uh, one of uh, Sheikh Kamal's bodyguards tries to escape and then finally Indy you know, lowers the boots, find there's red sand in there. And Colonel Bonet is like, congratulations, great work. And then he's like, no, there were two traitors because in the time allowed, there had to be two people in order to, uh, you know, get the guns across. It was like, clue. I mean, <laughs> you know, he was trying to figure out the whole thing. And uh, I really, really like uh, kind of this tense scene here as all of them take off their boots. It's all white sand. And then he says, you will pay for this, Captain Duval. And he says, sir... We haven't seen inside your boots yet. And I love the tension in this scene. It's awesome. Right. And I also love, you know, how they wrote this scene. They have the colonel take off his boots, but he doesn't dump them out. And as Indy bends down to grab him, he hits him over the head and starts and takes off running. That's a great point. I actually didn't even think about that. Yeah, the fact that he doesn't actually empty the sand himself adds the suspicion. You can see his eyes there. He's very, very worried. Indy lowers to grab him 
hits him on the neck, runs off, and we have this great elaborate chase scene uh, in which they kind of run up the stairs uh, into this building. And uh, we have uh, one of the, the the only sword fight in Indiana Jones, uh, which is... Wait, actually, is that the only sword fight in Indiana Jones? Actually, yeah, now that I'm in thinking young about Indy, that. In Young Indy, I think so, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think. Is there a sword fight in the movies? I don't think uh, there is. Battle on the Bridge. I oh, think. true, true, true. Battle I on the Bridge. I think that's a, that is a sword fight now. Yeah, it is. Okay. I mean, it's not an elaborate sword fight per se. I mean, he grabs the sword and, of course, just cuts the bridge, so he gets out of that one real quick. But I think this might be the only elaborate sword fight in the whole show. Because I was yeah. thinking about this, like, I love the versatility here, because we've seen so many fist fights, and after a while it gets a little bit old. And here you have a sword fight. How about that? And I love how Colonel Bonet hides right behind. Indy just completely stomps him, which <laughs> I thought was great. Grabs the, uh, you know, the, um, uh, grabs the sword that's kind of on the other side. We have some great choreography here, by the way. I love this. It's, 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 um, it's, it's the origins of Star Wars, man. We got all this great, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sword fight here that's kind of duking out. And we have the great music, a final showdown from Daredevils, which adds to the suspense of the scene. And of course, you know, Colonel Bonet is pretty upset. He starts throwing all the stuff at Indy and, uh, then leads to that kind of climactic ending on the balcony there. Yes, where Indy, you know, he grabs this table because he, his sword was knocked out of his hand. And, you know, the colonel, uh, he kicks it, he throws the sword into it, and Indy ends up pushing him back, and the colonel falls off the back, uh, the balcony. Yeah, definitely. And we have this kind of very interesting scene that turns so quickly with Colonel Bonet there. And then we finally transition into the last two scenes with Edith Wharton here, which is absolutely fantastic. There's some beautiful dialogue here that I really like. Uh, she says, you know, uh, time uh, time doesn't stop. You know, we can't fix this moment. Uh, just this really great kind of emotional, powerful scene between the two of them. Uh, we obviously know that both of them had a little bit of feelings towards each other, but obviously neither of them are going to act on it. So kind of interesting, just powerful. It really offsets this kind of harsh episode with Colonel Bonet with that really nice way to end it. Yes, it's a beautiful way to end it. I love that scene. And I also love the scene after that when uh, it's their final goodbye. And, you know, we see Indy and Edith by the carriage. And they, they you know, they say goodbye with their goodbye kiss as Edith climbs into the carriage. Right. And how about kind of the surprise there? The music perfectly as, you know... Um then she just kind of like holds Indy's face there. And then, you know, there's obviously that passionate moment there. And yeah, kind of interesting. I mean, obviously there's the huge age difference there, which, uh, you know, is kind of interesting. I mean, Indy's pretty young at this point. I mean, there's obviously no problem with, you know, age differences there. And I'm, that's not what I'm implying here, but just kind of interesting that like Indy is very, very young here. You know, only he's only like 17 at this point. So um, yeah, I mean, kind of an interesting relationship, uh, but, you know, it is kind of a nice ending, you know, kind of emotional to end the episode that way. As we see the carriage go by, transitions into that great sort of minor theme for Sheikh Kamal as we transition into the great black and white of the episode. Uh, so with that said, uh, what are some of our final thoughts on Tales of Innocence, the first episode of Volume 3, The Years of Change? You know, I really like this episode. It is very intricate, and I also, as you said, it's the longest episode uh, of all the Young Indie episodes in total. I personally like the first half a bit better than the second half, and that's mainly just because it's hilarious watching Indy and Hemingway just one-up each other for, you know, 30 minutes straight. It's hilarious. I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a great 
episode. You know, I agree with you. I think this episode actually kind of goes underrated, you know? I think this is a fun one to watch. The Ernest Hemingway and kind of indie battle is hilarious. Both of them were great actors. Um, obviously, we kind of see where Indy gets his feistiness, you know? Um, but I will say I have a little bit of a criticism of this one. And I'm interested to hear what you think about this, Max. I don't think these episodes went very well together. And especially considering you mentioned this is the longest episode clocking in at an hour and 37 minutes. I feel like there's a lot that can be cut here, especially in that second half. You know, it's a very simple scene. You know, there's the Edith relationship. Colonel Bonnet is a traitor. And you have some very simple stuff. I, I marked this down on my sheet here. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah. From about 46 minutes until an hour and like two minutes, no, we don't get to Edith Wharton. Like, that entire 15-minute section with the Venice thing, with uh, Indy riding across the desert, uh, finding the serial numbers, like, I feel like all that could have been cut out. It just, it felt kind of clunky, and maybe this is just because that we know that, you know, this episode was shot afterwards, but I felt like, you know, with all these episodes and, and how well they go together, like, especially, like, uh, what's a good example? Paris of Cupid, right? Like, those weren't meant to be together, but Florence and, and Vienna, oh, they go perfectly together. You know, especially with Journey of Radiance, too. Those go well together. Um, Spring Break Adventure, I, I feel, goes well together. This, I feel like, is one of the uh, kind of not-so-good pairings, and just that uh, it's just kind of a big jump. You have this comic relief episode and then this serious thing, and, and I also feel like the Edith relationship was a little bit forced as well. I always feel like George Lucas wants a relationship. I feel like he can kind of tone it down a notch. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I kind of 50-50 on this one. Like, it's funny, it's great, but then I felt like they don't pair well together. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It is a 50-50 episode. I like the first half. The second half is just, eh, it's not the best. It's also not the worst. But, you know, I really have to, I would have to say that, you know, it it is an underrated episode, as you said. It's definitely not my favorite episode, but I mean, it's not a terrible episode either. It's, it's a, how do I say this nicely? It's a mediocre episode, I guess you could say. Not bad, not good. It's just okay. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think there's enough here though to make this like a good solid episode, you know? Like it's funny enough to the point where I think you're engaged the whole time. So that's kind of what I like about it as well. But um, it is a very interesting way to start off the years of change as well. We talked about with Indy still being in the war. Um, and it definitely is a very interesting kind of precursor into the next episode, which is completely different in Masks of Evil, a very popular one. Uh, so yeah, that about concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and remember to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other podcast platforms. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about us and our podcast, be sure to check out our website at www.theindianajonesuniverse.com and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, so thanks again for joining us and we'll be back soon with another episode. Once again, I'm Max. And I'm Will. And until next time, so, so long, long Dr. Dr. Jones. Jones.